Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Last year, I watched a fascinating six-episode documentary series on Disney Channel titled Web of Death. How many of you have seen that? Oh, I encourage you to go watch it. The documentary follows the investigations of online amateur sleuths who use digital footprints, DNA databases, and social media to solve unsolved murder cases. Each episode features a different sleuth and a different case. In the second episode, we're introduced to a young woman who died of a blunt force trauma back in 1954 at Boulder Falls, Colorado. Two University of Colorado Colorado students hiking stumble upon her naked and battered body laid next to the rocks probably for a week. Her face was no longer recognizable. Her body had been ravaged by animals. And all that remained of her personal belongings were three hairpins. Her death made headlines across Colorado at the time. Residents in Boulder donated enough money to give her a Christian, uh, not so fast. Ian, go back to the previous slide, please. They donated enough money to give her a Christian funeral and buy her a gravestone which reads, uh, Jane Doe, April 1954, age about 20 years. After visiting the cemetery in 1996, a local journalist and historian, Sylvia Patton, yeah, you can go to the next slide, became fascinated uh, the other way. Thank you. Yeah. After spotting her headstone, she thought to herself, no one should go to the grave without a name. No one should go to the grave without a name. And so she began working on the case for 14 years. She scarred newspaper clippings, court records, autopsy reports, genealogy sites in hopes of identifying Jane. She even raised funds so that Jane's body could be exhumed and her DNA extracted. She subsequently wrote a book about the case, Someone's Daughter in Search of Justice for Jane Doe. It's kind of an emotional episode. In 2009, after a combination of dogged detective work and other fortuitous circumstances, Jane Doe was finally identified through DNA tests, thus solving one of Colorado's most enduring mysteries. Her name was Dorothy Gay Howard. She turned out to be the oldest of Roy and Eunice Howard's three girls. She was 18 years old from Phoenix, Arizona. When Dorothy's last surviving sister was informed, she traveled to Boulder to bid her final farewell to her sister and provide her with a tombstone etched with her name next to the original Jane Doe stone. At least people here were kind enough to love her and give her some dignity. She explained to reporters why she decided to keep Dorothy buried where she was. Our identity matters a great deal because it is essential to our well-being, 
such as our self-worth, our self-esteem, our sense of acceptance and belonging. And having a name is, fundal, is a fundamental aspect of our identity. And this explains Sylvia's unflinching determination to discover who Jane Doe was, which started out as a fascination. No one, she said, should go to the grave without a name. No one should go to the grave without a name. Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 2. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, by name. You are mine. And not only that, sometimes God gives people new names to signify a change of destiny, like Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Peter, and Saul, just to name a few. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, to place their joy not in the fact that they have power over demons in his name, but that their names are written in heaven. So over the next two Sundays, I want to speak to this very important subject of our identity, which happens to be connected to our church theme for 2024. And like previous years, uh, not yet, brother, just reverse, yeah, just Stay there. Like previous years, the theme will be incorporated into the life of the church where possible, such as our sermon series for the year. I hope the church theme will give some direction to our personal and corporate times of prayer, to our LTGs and how they're run, to our interactions with one another throughout the year. So I want to encourage all of us to engage the theme. Don't hear it today and forget it, forget about it for the rest of the year. And certainly don't rely on the sermons as your only source of input with regards to the theme. Supplement uh, your discovery, your study with other reading materials. Separate the wheat from the chaff. There's something, you know, special about being on the same page in terms of what we are learning together as a community of faith. So the church theme is from Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. It is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Uh, we will have to wait until the first Sunday in April, immediately after our seven-part series during Lent, before we unpack the book of Colossians. But here's the verse in full and the two verses before so that we can get some sort of context. Verse 25, I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, prior to this passage, Paul had been hammering home the point that the Colossians are not only to believe in the gospel that he's been tasked by God to proclaim, which is for everyone and everywhere, but they're to stand firmly in the gospel and not drift away from the assurance it brings. By the gospel, Paul meant that it is Jesus and only Jesus who can 
and has rescued them. Them who were once enemies of God and far away from God. This Jesus has delivered them from the kingdom of darkness and brought them into God's kingdom and presence through the death of Jesus and his physical body for the forgiveness of their sins. And this Jesus is both fully divine and human. And that was a significant point because the church at Colossae was under attack from false teachers going around denigrating the deity of Christ. That Jesus was only human. He wasn't God. He wasn't divine. See, if their claim was true, then the message that has been kept secret for centuries and generations past now made known that Christ lives in us cannot be true, right? He was just a human, then he's dead. Can't, a dead person can't live in us. And so if that were true, then our preaching, our teaching is absolutely pointless. Our faith is worthless. We're peddling. What worse is we're peddling in false hope. And that's why Paul pleads with the Colossians and with all of us to stand firmly in the gospel and not drift away from it. His plea is more pertinent than ever before, given the rise of Christians, including high-profile leaders who are de deconstructing, deconstructing their faith. In the February edition of our church e-news, I included an excerpt of a brilliant and insightful article about this topic. And then for those of you who want to read more, I've given you a link as well to the rest of the article. If you haven't read it, can I highly recommend that you do? I think it is healthy. It is necessary to reevaluate our faith and our beliefs from time to time. Yeah, differentiating between core and non-negotiable tenets and doctrines of traditional Christianity for, from cultural beliefs, for instance. Sometimes tragic events or personal crises can catalyze this process. So whether we like it or not, sometimes we are forced into a position where we experience a moment of crisis. Is what I'm believing really true? Examining why we believe, what we believe, can lead to a more sincere, a simpler, and a purer devotion to Christ and a more robust faith. So it's important that we make room for ourselves and others to question, to doubt, to explore. However, the process of deconstructing our faith can also spiral into destructive cynicism self-righteous judgment, and a total rejection of core and non-negotiable beliefs about Jesus' deity, the authority of Scripture, the necessity of the atonement of Christ for salvation, the bodily resurrection of Jesus are just a few examples. When this occurs, what you're left with is no longer the gospel that Paul preached, that Paul pleads with us not to drift away from, but stand firmly in it. So the next time you hear someone say, I'm deconstructing my faith, ask them what they mean. Ask them what they mean. But just remember, as the author of the aforementioned article notes, deconstruction is not synonymous with deconversion. While everyone deconver who deconverts from Christianity probably deconstructs first, not everyone who deconstructs deconverts.
And that's a crucial distinction to make. Back to the mystery that's been hidden, kept hidden, but now revealed, now disclosed to us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This, brothers and sisters, is our new identity as followers of Jesus. It is truly an extraordinary truth. Here's Christ in that passage that, uh, that, that Daryl read earlier, the preeminent, the sufficient one, the center of the universe, through whom all things were created and in him all things hold together. The visible image of the invisible God containing within himself the fullness of deity, dwelling in each and every person who places their faith in him. This is the Christian's hope of glory. It's unfathomable, isn't it? This creator dwells in us by the spirit. Now, furthermore, Jewish believers would have been blown away because Paul is also telling them that the Gentiles who put their faith in Jesus, the Gentiles whom they regarded as inferior to them, whose status is similar to that of prostitutes and the hated tax collectors. Paul is saying, these Gentiles, they have Jesus living in, inside of them too. They're on equal footing with them, holy and blameless, without fault, fully loved and embraced as God's children. This means, brothers and sisters, no matter who we are, no matter what we have done in the past, we can and we have been given a completely new ID, Christ in us, the hope of glory. See, at the start, in the beginning, Adam and Eve had this strong sense of identity and belonging. See? They were created by God for intimate relationship with him. God called them by name and would walk with them in the cool of the evening. They were completely secure, open, transparent, uninhibited with God and with one another. But sin wrecked all of that. Sin destroyed all of that. Not only were they separated from the one whose image they were created to bear, they also suffered from a crisis of identity. They stopped being their true selves with God and with one another. Remember, they were ashamed and they had to hide from God and they had to hide from one another. And since then, we've been consumed by the quest for identity. Who am I? Who am I really? Who am I really? And there are some of us who are quite ashamed of the person that we know that we are, so we put on facades and masks. And then after a while, in, in, in that moment of, of solitude, we question people's love for us. We question people's commitment to us. Because at the back of our minds, we know that the person that we projected to them, whom they have committed themselves to, is not the person that we know ourselves to be. And so it begs the question, what if I take my masks off? Will they still be committed to me? Will they still love me? Will they still be interested in me? 
And that's the conundrum when we project an image to others that is not truly ourselves. And this is what Adam and Eve experienced and, and, and in humanity as a whole experience as well. We're hardwired. We're hardwired to find out our identity, to have an identity. But Paul tells us the gospel changed everything. In the words of a song, because of the cross, because of his shed blood on the cross, we carry his blood in our veins. Don't you like that? I hope to teach you that song. We carry his blood in our veins. As I said earlier, having a strong sense of who we are is essential to our overall well-being. Consider the statement, never forget where you come from. It's all about our identity, you see. Our identity defines who we are. It helps us establish boundaries and make wise decisions. See, if you don't know your identity, then others will define it for you. Our identity is based upon and shaped by many factors, such as our family of origin, our relationships, our culture, the primary community that we are part of, our experiences, and the physical environment. However, the most crucial aspect of our identity is spiritual in nature, and it's the one that we must safeguard and grow stronger in and not drift away from. And that is the identity that God gives us. A Christian without a strong sense of their identity in Christ is like a tree without roots. A Christian without a strong sense of their identity in Christ is like a tree without roots or with shallow roots. For instance, as Timothy Keller writes, if our identity is in our work, rather than Christ, then success will go to our heads and failure will go to our hearts. See? But if our identity is in Christ, it matters not that we succeed. We give praise to God. Our success does not make us more, than, more of a somebody than we were previously. We're just as loved, just as accepted, just as valuable. So success doesn't make, doesn't make us superior, you see. We won't battle with feelings of superiority if our identity is truly in Christ. But if our identity in Christ is truly in Christ, then we don't, we can swat off if you like. We'll still be tempted to be inferior, but it won't be an issue. Because no matter what people say of us, no matter how many f failures we experience, it doesn't change who we know to be, who we know ourselves to be, loved by God in Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We still carry his blood in our veins. Our identity in Christ is the only one that is constant and never changes. It's the only identity that will last. It's the only identity that will make us whole and complete. And it's given to us freely. The Christian faith is the only worldview in which your identity is received and not achieved. You don't have to earn it. 
You don't have to perform for it, and you don't have to be deserving of it. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is a truth, is a fact. In reality, you can stand upon day in and day out because it rests completely upon what Jesus has done on the cross. As a result, God see, how God sees you does not change like the stock market. His love doesn't go up and down like the stock market. Identity in Christ is not built on you and I being a good person or maintaining a good track record. It comes from God telling you and I who you are and who we are, demonstrated and sealed by Jesus' blood shed on the cross, which we took time to remember and celebrate earlier. The only source of a lasting, unchanging identity that completes us and makes us whole is the one that God gives us. Amen? Christ in us, the hope of glory. Many years ago, I think I was uh, in my early 30s. I was married and a father of two children at the time. I took on a very niche job as a lollipop man. Very niche job. At the time, I was a non-salaried missionary with a mission agency, an international mission agency. And that simply means that we have to raise our own support, like the likes of the McQuays and the missionaries that we support and the Hoods and Kyles. But our monthly support wasn't where it was supposed to be. So I had to go out and get some paid work to make ends meet. And the lollipop job, uh, lollipop job came up. It was the perfect job for me in terms of hours and the time. See, I was still a full-time missionary, so I had to fit a job that fitted into that. And I only had to man the crossing for one hour in the morning and half an hour in the afternoon. I knew in my heart that it was God's provision. But little did I know, little did I know that God would use that job to teach me about my true sense of worth and identity. That it did not come from my job, but from who he says I am. That it did not come from how people define me, how my parents define me, how my culture defined me, but how he defined me. It was honestly one of the most painful experiences I've ever had particularly when people stared at me, and that would happen a lot, and particularly if they were Chinese. And I was manning this particular crossing in the gap. You know, it's a pretty wealthy area. And I had a whistle, I had to wear the white coat and a sash and a stupid orange hat. Kids came, And the kids, as they walked by, they would stare at me. And of course, uh, people who drove and had to stop at the crossing, they would stare at me. Not all. But the Chinese, when they stared at me, it really rocked me. I would feel so embarrassed. It was like I could read their minds, you know. There must be something wrong with this guy. Because why would a guy in the prime of his life be doing this job? A job that a retiree might consider. But this guy, maybe he's been involved in an accident or something. 
and is a bit, you know, not there. Maybe he's emotionally, mentally fragile. Maybe. I mean, they would look at me. It was almost like, what are you doing this thing for? Why are you being a lollipop man? Is there something wrong with you? Don't you have better things to do? Are you on a break or something, you know? I'm not saying this is how or Chinese people think about lollipop men and women, by the way. This is, this is how I felt. This is my insecurity speaking and talking. There were times I wished the, oh, the ground would open up and swallow me. Of course, we know that a person's worth is never defined by their jobs, their careers, or anything else, but only that they're made in God's image. We know this, I know this, but why was it so hard for me to believe this? Huh? Why was it so hard for me to believe this? The answer is the fact that God's truth that actually sets you and I free needs to be revealed and then it needs to be applied. See? God's truth that sets us free needs to be, first of all, revealed to us, and then it needs to be applied. And until we apply it, we won't be set free. See, I know that I'm God's child, but that was a theory that I could cite. That was a theory that I can tell you. That was a belief, a mental belief that I had. But was it real in my heart? No, it wasn't. And how did I know it wasn't? By being a lollipop man. It was only then that I discovered how far away I was from the truth that Christ in us, Christ in me, the hope of glory. I believed it wholeheartedly. I knew it to be true wholeheartedly. I can quote it. I can cite it. But it wasn't true in my heart. I was still a very insecure 30-something-year-old. It was then that I discovered how much of my culture, my Malaysian culture, its values defined me. Because in my culture, in the Chinese culture, I was a loser. Doing what I did, I was a loser. Worth this much. Because Chinese, boy, they're doctors, right? They're dentists. <laughs> they're <laughs> engineers and all these super-duper occupation. But a lollipop man. That, I've got to be the first lollipop Chinaman. It's got, I've got to be it. They've probably never seen someone a Chinese doing that. That's why I got all the stares. God's truth that actually sets us free needs to be revealed and then applied, not theorized, not cited. In John 8, 31 to 32, we read these words. To the Jews, click, please. To the Jews who had believed him. To the Jews who had, what? Believed him. There are believers of Jesus. He said, if you 
Hold on to my teaching. If you apply it, in other words, not once, not twice, not three times, hold on to it. Hold on for dear life. Apply it and keep applying it. You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And then the truth will set you free. The statement made by the, first, by the former First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt echoes the truth that Jesus underscores. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. See, it's a decision you make. If you feel inferior, it's not because of anybody else's fault. It's because you and I have allowed ourselves to feel inferior. You, have, you and I have allowed those words, those lies, to make its way into our hearts and displace Colossians 1.27 from our hearts with something else. No one can make you inferior without your consent. Having an intention to change is just that, an intention. Hoping that you will change is just that, it's a hope. God's truth that sets us free has nothing to do with knowledge. It has to do with choices we make every single day in submission to God's truth, starting with Jesus himself, who says that I'm the way, I am the truth and the life. So looking back at my lolly chop job career, I am very grateful for the experience I had. God used it to teach me that my lasting and changing identity that completes me and makes me whole comes from the truth, comes from the fact, comes from the reality that Christ is in me and he is my hope of glory. That is who you really are and who I really am. That is how God sees you. That is how God sees me. That is how God defines you and I. And how God defines us is more important. In fact, infinitely, infinitely more important than anything else. Don't look to the wrong people. Don't look to the wrong places for your identity. You have already been given one. You carry his blood in your veins. You carry his blood in your veins. Amen. Now what? There's a couple of things I would like to encourage you to do. Make time and ask God to speak through you, to you through Colossians 1.27 and Isaiah 43.1-2, a verse I read out earlier. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, don't, don't uh, stick to O Jacob. Replace that name with yours. He who created you. He who created you, Sam. He who created you, Peggy, Pauline, Di, Peter, Edwards. He who formed you, Grant, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you.
by name. You are mine. Not powerful words, but we're going to let it make its way into our hearts. And the second thing that you can do is just look at that image. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you look at the mirror, who do you see? You see yourself, more of yourself than the lion who lives in you, the Christ who lives in you. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. That we are more than we have become because Christ lives in us, the hope of glory. How do we become more than, than what we are? That's our topic next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, throughout the year, I ask that you speak to us about the precious and lasting identity you've given to us. An identity that makes us whole, an identity that completes us, an identity that is always constant and never changing, an identity that lasts. I ask, Lord, for waves upon waves upon waves of your revelation to our hearts through your spirit, the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations now disclosed to us, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. I pray you will put us in situations where we actually know this, where we actually grow in this knowledge. Put us in situations, put us in uncomfortable situations where our worth and identity is questioned, where we're rocked by somebody or something, something that somebody says to us. Put us in those situations and help us take stock of our reaction, our inward reaction. And use that, Lord, to show us how far we still have to grow in, in our identity. And you will not do it out of condemnation. You will do it because you love us. You would do it because you want to show us where we are, where we actually are, rather than where we think we actually are. May we become more than what we've become because of this. May we find more completeness, more joy, more peace, more purpose, more confidence because of the work of your spirit in our lives and making known to us the reality of this mystery that has been hidden for ages now disclosed to us, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.